Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. Malawian theologian Isabel Apoopiri describes the book of Ruth as encountering a God who is concerned about the everyday occurrences of ordinary people. Ruth is a remarkable Old Testament book exploring God's sovereignty in his overarching plan for redemption, as well as his ability to be wholly engaged in people's daily trials and struggles. Please continue listening to our first installment of Ruth, a story of redemption. Everyone, I'm going to be reading Ruth 1 verse 1 to 18 from the English Standard Version. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to Sodom in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Eli Melech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the, son, the name of the two sons were Malin and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Jet from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Eli Melech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malin and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband." Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lizzie. Evening, church. Good to see you all. Well done, Lizzie. Honestly, when you say yes to reading scripture, little did you know it was literally a whole page of the Bible, but you did a great job. 
Um, I've also heard three people read this three times and every time they've said the names differently and I've doubted myself. I've been like, is that how you say his name? So I'm just gonna say it how I've practiced it, but honestly, every time I've been like, maybe they're right, I don't know. The, the names contextually, I don't know, when it gets to reading them in this day and age, quite often I'm sitting going, these are hard names. <laughs> they're not easy names like Ben or John or something like that. Ruth is the only name where I was like, I'm pretty sure I know how to say that one, but the rest are a bit tricky. So it is great to be here. Um, as Jeff said, this is our last week together as a family here at church, and then we've got 10 weeks of leave, and we are so looking forward to it. We really are just excited for time to be together as a family, to focus on each other, focus on our relationship, Mike and I, focus on ourselves, focus on God, and just allow Him to do a work of rest in us and restoration. I think it can be tiring to work in ministry, if we're honest. Uh, you give of yourself, and to have a season where we get to actually just receive from God is something we're really looking forward to. And so thank you. You are the community that are releasing us, and we really are grateful for the privilege. It hasn't all been excitement in our family, though. I'm gonna be honest. Our kids are not that happy that we're not gonna be at church for three months. I was told by one of our kids, I don't think it's fair, that just because you've been told you mustn't go to church, now we can't go to church. So if you're a next-gen leader, well done. The kids do not wanna leave. We're trying to figure out, like, can we drop them off and then go for a coffee and come back? Or is that like, I don't know, free baby? sitting, I think it's fine, right? I think it's fine. We're still figuring it out. We're in conversation about it. How do we make sure they still get to be with their community even though we've asked for a bit of space? So well done, Next Gen. You're doing a great job. Our kids do not wanna leave, not even for 10 weeks. Um, and then the, the other thing that was a bit of a disappointment for me, I was sitting in some of the planning meetings for Ruth and when I looked at the dates, I realized, oh, we're gonna miss the series. <laughs> And as we've been talking about it and unpacking it as a leadership team, as a um, content team, I've just realized how beautiful this book is and what an amazing journey we're gonna go on as a community. And this really is a story for our community. I do think some people hear the book of Ruth and they assume, oh, it's a, it's a book for women. Um, and now you've got the women's ministry leaders speaking the first sermon and you start to think like, oh, but I can, I'm actually gonna rebuke that, right? The book of Ruth is not a book for women, it's a book for all of us. It's a book for fathers, it's a book for mothers, it's a book for men, it's a book for women. It's this beautiful story where we're all gonna learn about such important themes like loyalty and honor, what respectful relationships look like, how God takes us from pain and brings about redemption and joy. There's something in it for all of us. And so that's why we are gonna look at this book for the next six weeks. We're really gonna sit in it. We, we've seen the benefit in our series in Galatians, right? Just sitting in a book and allowing it to change us and grow us and mold us. And Ruth is going to do the same. And so can I encourage you, if you haven't already, won't you consider reading this book for yourself? It's four chapters long. And so this week, maybe you wanna read a chapter a day. I know I got quite engrossed. I read it in one sitting. It's a beautiful story. It reads like a story. If you like audiobooks, we're gonna have some links in the mailer for you to be able to listen to it, maybe when you're in the car or while you're studying. But as you read it, think about the story and ask questions for yourself. What's going on here? What is God teaching me? What are the themes that I'm seeing? Who are these characters? And then we've also got a devotional that we're gonna go through as a community. It looks like this. You can find it at the back um, at the involvement desk. It's 40 rand for the devotional. It helps us to cover our printing costs. But if you can't afford it, just consider it our gift to you. You're welcome to just take one. And then um, 
If you'd like it online, that QR code will actually take you to the digital version. But our recommendation is this. This week, be in the Bible and use the Bible and allow it to speak to you. And then next week, we're gonna start the devotional as a community, so starting next week, Monday, it's 20 days, so it will take us through verse by verse, the book of Ruth, so you'll read it multiple times by the end of the six weeks. And it'll give you some thoughts to ponder, some prayers to pray, and it really will just take us deeper into the book. So this evening, we're gonna focus on chapter one, and the chapter really does set the scene for the story of Ruth giving us insight into the reasons why she and her mother-in-law find themselves widowed and in Bethlehem begging for food. And this chapter is often overlooked. When you think of the story of Ruth, most often people think of wheat or fields or Boaz's cloak or the kinsman redeemer's sandal. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to read the book because these are important, I promise you. I'm not saying sandal as like a little Easter egg here. Like there is a whole thing about a sandal in this book that you'll enjoy finding out more about when you read it. But this chapter is not really one that people speak about. It's not one of those markers for us in the story. And yet it's vital in understanding the characters who we are learning from in this series. So we're not gonna rush past chapter one and the pain and the difficulty and the suffering that we're gonna find that caused this family to return to Bethlehem. Rather, we're gonna sit with Elimelech and Naomi and Ruth and really feel what they are going through. And we're gonna start with the first character, Elimelech. And I've given him a little catchphrase. He did what was right in his own eyes. So the book of Ruth can be found in the Old Testament after Judges. The author is unknown, and we're not sure of the date of when it was written, although we assume it's round about the time of the reign of King David or King Solomon, which would have been long after the events took place, because at the end of this book, there's a genealogy that speaks to generations that come from Ruth and Boaz, so they wouldn't have known that until much later on. But the book opens with a descriptor of the time when this book was written. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. And this is a beautiful phrase because in seven words, the author sums up a period in Israel's history that was marked with disobedience, judgment, consequence, and pain. And so I wanna read a little bit of Judges chapter two just to unpack it for us so we get a better idea of what it must have been like. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them, the Israelites, out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they hoard after other gods and bow down to them. Every time I say hoard, I'm like, oh. I don't really use that word often, it's it's scripture. It's where the Lord said it, I have to say it, It's it's in the Bible. So that's what they did. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than before, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This is not a proud moment for the Israelite nation. And it's within this backdrop that we introduced to a family living in Israel. Elimelech, the father, Naomi, his wife, and their two sons, Malon and Kilion. 
They are living in Bethlehem, and if you translate the word Bethlehem, it literally means house of bread, which is ironic because there is no bread to be found in this house. There is a famine that is happening, and I'm not sure that many of us can relate to what famine even means. The closest we can come is reading about avian flu in the news this week and then going to Woolworths and finding that the shelves are empty, there are no eggs, right? I went to pick and pay, I was like, only two cartons? And the price has gone up so much. It just made me realize that when we assume there's a scarcity, we panic, we go a little bit crazy. Who can forget COVID and the lack of toilet paper? (laughs) Every shelf was empty, like what are we worried about? Or the taxi strikes, when the most vulnerable in our society were left with shelves bare, no flour, nothing for them to eat, because the shops couldn't get any of the food brought in. And there are some in our community that don't know where their next meal will come from. I chatted to a guy at the end of the service, 10.30, he's like, you're describing me. I know what it's like to be in hunger and to be in need. But famine, there's a panic that goes in your heart when you realize there is no food for my family. There is nothing I can do to provide for them. They will starve. And so Elimelech decides to move his family to a place called Moab in search of food and opportunity, ultimately a better experience of life. And none of us can really fault him for wanting to leave Bethlehem when we consider the reality of famine. It seems like quite a rational plan. But I think reading this story in the 21st century means we lose some significance of what land would have meant for the Israelites. You see, the nation they lived in represented their faith at the time. God was in Israel, that was his promise to his people, and he commanded them to live in this promised land with him. Other nations would have worshiped different gods, so leaving Israel for another nation is like abandoning your God and your faith for another faith system. And not just any other nation, they choose to go to Moab. This nation was one in opposition to Israel in many respects, a nation that fought against God's people, Jeremiah even prophesied their destruction at the hands of God because of their pride and insolence. Moab is not a neutral place to move to. It's as if Elimelech is saying, God, you're not providing for my family. So I'm gonna make the decision to go to someone else, to go somewhere else for provision outside of the land that you've promised us. And so two things are at play here. Firstly, Elimelech's family is going through really hard times. And the reality of the fall is that this world is not perfect. In fact, terrible things are going to happen and often they're going to happen to you. This famine is not their fault and yet they are profoundly affected by it. We all live in times outside of our control where things happen to us, where we are the victims, we're not to blame, but we do live in the consequence of what happened. I think of a family that we know who moved from common ground, they moved to McGregor with the dream of starting a farm and farming and living off the land. And a few weeks ago, when there were those crazy floods, they lost their car, they lost their produce, there was damage to half of their 16 hectare farm, they lost their borehole, basically, they've lost everything. They've had to start from scratch after months of work. It's not their fault, but they're living in the reality of hard times. But on the other hand though, we do see Elimelech making a choice. Do we stay here 
and figure out what it looks like to live in the land that God has promised us without the assurance of food? Or do we go to a neighboring nation that is outside of God's will for his people, a nation that we know that God does not approve of and make a way for ourselves there? And Elimelech makes a choice. When faced with the option of trusting God's, for God's goodness or looking for blessing elsewhere, he decides, I will do what is right in my own eyes. Now, this is the last sentence in the book of Judges just before Ruth opens. It's describing the people of Israel at the time and it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if that's a description on a national level, we're now seeing it playing out in an individual, Elimelech. We can almost see Elimelech and Naomi sitting at the kitchen table at night, the candles burning, they're whispering, the kids are sleeping in the next room talking about what they're gonna do. There's no food, Naomi, what do you want me to do? Leave us here to starve? I know for a fact that we can make a way in Moab. If God was for us, why would he allow this famine? We can't live like this anymore. We have to make a decision for ourselves. We can't wait for God to act. He's silent in this. How can we trust him if he can't even provide food for this table? I need to make a call for our family, Naomi. We need to find another way. And so in this moment, Elimelech chooses to step outside of God's instruction to the Israelites. And even though he is an Israelite himself, God's commands to them don't apply to him. Now, as a parent, I daily experience the reality of people doing what is right in their own eyes. In fact, much of my parenting is discipling my people into realizing what they think might be fine is not often the best way to go, and maybe you wanna just get the perspective of someone with a bit more wisdom or experience. Now, I've got a story to share, and I don't have Ian's age of kids where he just names and shames his children. I was like, one day, that is gonna bite you in the bum, Ian. So I'm not, I'm not gonna name this child, but I did tell her that I would be sharing this story so that she is aware that it's coming. But I think of something quite silly like slime. Slime is a gift that no one ever gets for their own children. <laughs> you buy that for other people's children because it is such a mess. So we got given some slime and one of my daughters who shall not be uh, named said, I wanna play with the slime in my bedroom. And I said, well, that sounds okay, but I just want you to know you've got a really beautiful fluffy carpet in your bedroom and you can't get slime out of the carpet. Pfft, what does mom know, right? So, mom really does know, and I can actually tell you now by experience, you can try and pick it off, you can put it in the washing machine, you can spend about 20 minutes just rub, rub, rubbing, you will not get slime out of a fluffy carpet. In fact, it will never look the same. I know that for sure. It's actually now a misshapen carpet because it wasn't meant to go in the wash, so we tried our best, but sometimes when you do what's right in your own eyes, it just doesn't work out. But I think that kids often get a bad rap for this kind of thing. And if we're all honest, we have moments of doing what is right in our own eyes. So I will not only shame my child, I will shame myself. We all know you shouldn't voice note in the car. Let this be a lesson to you all. <laughs> so I know I shouldn't voice note in the car. And yet sometimes I really just do have a message I need to send to someone and so I do it. And so I can tell you that when I heard the boop boop next to me <laughs> pulling up, as I was holding my cell phone and my wheel and speaking in a voice note that I saw the traffic officer, I was like, ah, you caught me. 
I'm doing what was right in my own eyes. I know the law is that I shouldn't be doing this and yet here I am and I can tell you Ali Bodel still has that voice note and I'm talking and you just hear whoop and then it cuts off because I was like, oh, what do I do? And you hide up and you're like, it's too late. She pulls me over and she's like, do you know what you've done? I was like, yeah. <laughs> I know. I did what was right in my own eyes and they caught me. And so I think that we can all resonate with a time where we've been caught out thinking that the rules are gonna just apply differently to us. And in fact, isn't this at its core sin? God's commanded, he's told, he's warned, he's compelled you. But those things that you've said just don't apply to me in this moment. I'm gonna do what's right in my own eyes. At this point in the story, we know times are tough for this family and they make a decision to go their own way. How does it go? It says in verse two, they went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This family had hoped for a better life in Moab, but the reality was far from it. Within a decade of settling there, the very reasons Naomi had for leaving their land are dead. So suddenly life looks very different. Neither of the wives have had children, so in one family, we now have three widows. At that time, it meant they were destitute without someone to protect them, to provide for them, or to give them the opportunity to bear children and carry on their lineage, they were as good as dead. So if you think famine was bad, Naomi has just swapped one set of terrible circumstances for another. Elimelech is no longer a character in our story. So we're left with Naomi, let's focus on her now. At this point, surely Naomi's asking herself, how did I get here? What has happened that got me to this point in my life? I had a husband, I had sons, I had a people I belonged to and a future ahead of me, and now I have nothing. The man that I followed to, to this foreign land is gone and I'm left alone, broken and grieving. This is such a wake up moment for Naomi. She is defeated at the end of herself, without hope or a future. So what does she decide to do? Verse six says, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Don't you love that? Did you notice how it says that the people of Moab are in the fields whispering about God? Have you heard? The Israelite God has returned to Israel. He's giving them food. Naomi is hearing from God's enemies that God is with his people. God allows Naomi's whole world to be shaken to its core. And it feels like the most unlikely of gifts. He has opened her eyes to the path she is on. He is revealing the desolation around her and reminding her of his promise for provision in Israel. 
And so she decides, I will go back to God. I will return to my land, to my people, and back into God's care. This couldn't have been an easy decision. She had left, Naomi, uh, she had left Bethlehem with a family. Naomi would return empty. She had left with hope. She would return changing her name to Bitter. But when faced with her situation, she knew that the only thing to do was to turn back to God and his mercy. This is a deeply humbling moment. She is surrendering the future she had hoped for in Moab, the opportunities they had moved for, the family they had desired. She is saying, I have gone my own way and it has not gone well for me. I was wrong, I'm coming back to you. It sounds like repentance. That moment of acknowledging that things have gone horribly wrong without God and turning back to him, falling under his care once again and trusting him for whatever the future may now hold. And let's be real, this moment of going back does not change anything that she has been through. In fact, she will live with the consequences still. But turning back to God means opening herself up to God's presence, his comfort, his direction. This is not only about food in the field and the hope of provision. This is about the presence of God with his people, his faithfulness on display, and wanting to live in that reality. Naomi makes the right choice. It is never too late, and you are never too far gone to go back home. Whether you've been hit by things outside of your control, or whether you've just stubbornly ignored God and done what was right in your own eyes, wherever you find yourself, if you are outside of the presence of God, you can come back. When I was preparing for this message, I really got the sense that there are people in this room that just feel like they are so far down the road that they just can't turn back. In fact, God wouldn't allow it. They're too far gone. But the story of Naomi is the story of a faithful God who remains faithful whether you are in the field or the foreign land. Yes, times can be tough. Yes, you can make the most terrible decisions, but his faithfulness is not dependent on these things. And so if you are wondering whether God will be true to his nature, one of kindness, compassionate forgiveness, and love, I'm here to tell you, yes, he is faithful. Come back to him. And so Naomi makes the choice to go back to God's people and land and to return to God's ways. And to her daughters-in-law, she offers the option of a second chance. She knows that if they come with her, they will be even worse off than they are now because she cannot provide an heir for them. But if they return to their families, their family might have the chance of providing a new husband for them. Otherwise, their families will look after them. They can live with them once again. Naomi knows she can't do either. She can't provide for them, not an heir and not food. And so she invites them to return to their home as she returns to hers. And so we see in the text, it says, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So both daughters are moved to tears at this request from Naomi. And if you think about it, they've lived together as a family for 10 
years in the same house. They have each experienced and held each other through the loss of those that they love. They have lived through the hardest thing they would have ever lived through together. And so they both cry and they refuse to leave, but Naomi entreats them again and she appeals to their reason, reminding them that she cannot provide an heir for them and so their only hope is to return home. And at this, Orpah does what most rational, reasonable, wise people would do. She weeps bitterly at the loss of her mother-in-law. She kisses her goodbye and she goes home, believing that there will be a hope of future life there. And so we are left with the last character in our opening chapter, Ruth. Ruth is different to Orpah. Where Orpah leaves, Ruth shows her loyalty, her loving kindness, and her commitment to stay with Naomi. When Naomi entreats her to return to her people and her gods, Ruth knows that there's a different choice she must make. And I just think it's amazing that for 10 years, Ruth would have lived with Naomi and her sons, this Israelite family, and yet never once do we hear that she has converted to follow their God, the Israelite God. But in Naomi's moment of desperation, when she reaches rock bottom and she makes a decision to trust God once more and to return to him and to his land, Ruth is moved so profoundly that she decides to follow her and declares her allegiance to Naomi's God. And so she speaks the most beautiful promise to Naomi, one that is used at many weddings because it is covenantal in its essence. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Isn't that love? Ruth shows real compassion and sacrifice in binding herself to her mother-in-law because she's betting on a losing horse here. Anyone else would have turned around with Orpah and returned to their family and land and gods, but Ruth at this crossroads does not seem what is right in her own eyes, but rather chooses to follow Naomi and in doing so, to follow God. She makes her choice, not to go her own way, not to go her family's way, but to follow the way to God. Both Orpah and Ruth love Naomi, but only Ruth follows up that feeling with faith-filled action. I commit myself to you. I submit myself to your God and I trust him. I mean, she shows greater trust in God to get them out of this desperate place than Elimelech had, leaving Bethlehem in source of food. In fact, Elimelech had real hope that Moab would provide security and provision, but Ruth promises to go with Naomi without any hope. In fact, there seems to be no earthly benefit to her converting to the Israelite faith. She would be seen by the Israelites as a foreigner and a Moabite enemy nonetheless, without any prospects of security or provision evident. Not only that, but she promises to bind herself to a destitute woman who has no way of providing hope or redemption. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy what she does. She submits her whole life her future, her everything to God 
And she has faith in his faithfulness, even though she's never seen him faithful. She trusts him without ever once experiencing his goodness. This woman is remarkable. Before we even get to the story in chapter two, we already know so much about this foreigner named Ruth. She might have been a Moabite to the Israelites, but she had ceased to be a Moabite when she professed her loyalty to the Israelite God. And from that moment on, she belonged in God's family, showing more passion towards God and his people than any other character in the story up until now. She declares a covenantal promise to the God of the covenant, showing covenantal love to Naomi in a way that God shows his very love to us. She looks bigger than what might seem right in her own eyes and believes that the Israelite God will direct her steps towards their future. And when you read the story this week, you'll see he does an amazing work. She has positioned herself in humble submission to God to be used by him for his purposes and glory, not for her own edification and pleasure. And in the following chapters, we will see God take the pain, the suffering, and the terrible place that these women find themselves in and he will bring about the most beautiful redemption story you will ever read. And so before we end, I want to just highlight some important points from chapter one. The first is that you can't rush the hard parts of your story. I think of that TikTok with that song and it says, can we skip to the good part? And then they just, it's often like a pregnant woman. And then there's a baby, I'm like, that is such a lie that you, you can't skip the hard parts. TikTok is lying to us. It can be so easy to want to rush the really hard parts of our story. But if we've seen anything in chapter one, it's this. There is so much to be learned in the pain. And so if you find yourself in a hard part of your story, wishing you could skip to the good part, living through pain and hardship, difficult situations that are outside of your control or experiencing the consequences of going your own way, it's okay. God is with you in the pain. He does not leave your side. In fact, even when we turn our backs on God, he is faithful to stand with us. So pain does not mean that God is not there. In fact, I've learned the most about God in my moments of pain. These are the times when my shaky faith becomes more solid because I have to believe the character of God and the promises he has made, even though I do not see it. Our family's living through, through the reality of someone that we love battling stage four cancer, and it is not going well. And I know that God is a healer, but I'm not seeing it. And I just wanna fix it, and I just wanna make it go away, and I can't do any of those things. And God says, it's okay. I'm in the pain and I can tell you he has ministered to me so much in this journey of sickness and pain. He has taught me so much about himself. He's in the pain. And so that's my second point. God works in our pain. We can go through hard times. We can make hard times for ourselves by going against God's ways. This is a normal part of life. I don't think we should be surprised when this happens. Pain, suffering, desperation, whether caused by us or outside of us, does not mean that God is not with us and that he's not working for our good. 
See, we can easily see how God is sovereignly in control in the story of Naomi and Ruth because we have the whole book to read. You can read it all in one sitting. You can see the pain to the redemption from chapter to chapter. But I imagine that those years in Moab must have felt so dark and so long and so desolate. And it's okay if you feel like you're in a dark and desolate place. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you or that he's not at work. I think it's a lie of the devil to say if you're going through hard times, it must mean that God doesn't care. He cares so deeply about what you're going through. We see it in this story. And so don't despise the pain or wish it away. Ask God what he is doing in your suffering. Allow him to work in you in this season. It reminds me of the encouragement Paul gives in 1 Peter. He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Thirdly, I want you to know that you can always go home. If you, like Naomi, find yourself somewhere you did not expect to be, you can turn around and go home. God has such compassion on us. His arms are always open for the returning son or daughter. In fact, with Jesus as our savior, we know with assurance that there is a wide open door welcoming us into the presence of God. We experienced it tonight. We do not rely on how well our life is going. We do not trust in our good works. We do not boast in our achievements. That is why you can be at your lowest point like Naomi and still be welcomed back by your father because the door is opened by Jesus alone. By his sacrifice, he makes a way for us to stand before the Father again and again, begging for mercy. And we find mercy and grace every single time. And so my last point is a challenge for those of us who life's actually going quite well at the moment. And you're thinking, oh, shame, Naomi, that's, like, that's tough for her. But actually, this is a beautiful story about pain and suffering. It's just not hitting my heart, maybe the way it is someone next to me. Actually, things are going quite well, Jane. And so my last point is a challenge to you. What choices are you making? What choices are you making in life? Can you see yourself in Elimelech, going your own way in search of your own future, your own blessings, your own provision, your own security? It's fine, God, I got this. I'm just gonna do what I think is right. Or will you, like Ruth, commit to following God whatever it takes, no matter what the future holds? The beauty of Ruth is we find a story in the Bible, and this is very rare, you all the characters in the Bible are quite fallen people, but Ruth is this beautiful example of us, is what it looks like to completely lay down 
your whole life for God. She submits everything to him. And so each of us can ask the question of God tonight, where am I not submitted to you? What do I need to lay down? Where can I humble myself under your powerful and mighty hand? And Ruth positions herself in submission to God and she says, do with me what you will. Do with me what you will. She has no other options. There's no other way out. And she says, God, be my God. You will be my God. And then God uses her profoundly. And God creates such beauty and such brokenness. And what I love is that he ultimately grants her the desires of her heart. And isn't that true that when we submit ourselves to God and we say, God, make your ways my ways. Make what I do for your glory. In fact, we find our desires are for God and he, he grants those desires. And so it's, it's a real sign of maturity to be able to learn from someone else's story, not have to live through what they live through. And so if you look at chapter one, what have you learned? If you did not know the rest of the story of Ruth, would you still choose the Ruth way? By God's grace, I want to be the one who trusts when all else is falling apart, who chooses obedience over comfort, who despite very real obstacles still holds on to the faithfulness of God. Ruth is drawn into the story of redemption when she witnesses the life of Naomi and her faith to return to her father. May our lives, wherever they are, be a witness to others that no matter what path we find ourselves on, we can always go home. Father God, we thank you for chapter one in this beautiful book. Thank you that your word is filled of pain and suffering and hardships. You are not unaware of what we go through. You are not unaware of our broken hearts. You know what sadness looks like. You wipe away our tears. I thank you, God, that you've reminded us tonight that the hard parts, you are still there. And so God, I pray for those that are here who are in really tough times. If they were to look at the characters in this story, they see themselves in Naomi more than anyone else. They are struggling. God, I just pray that they will experience your open arms, your embrace, your comfort, your very presence tonight. And I pray for those, God, who have submitted their very lives to you. By your spirit, won't you show us what more can we give? We love to give to you, God. We love to give back everything you've given us. Won't you show us where the areas where we need to lay down our pride, our plans, what we think is right, our own ways. We want to align to you. We wanna follow you. We wanna have lives that are purposed for your glory and your pleasure. I thank you for this book of Ruth, God. I 
thank you that it's spoken to us so profoundly already. It's only week one. And I just pray that you'll be with each of us individually in the coming days and weeks as we sit in this book for ourselves. Won't you speak to each of us uniquely? By your spirit, won't you minister to each of us? We are so grateful for you, our loving Father, and the fact that we can always come home. Amen.